Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Stock Talk. This is a little podcast that I like to put together here in my little corner of the uh, the galaxy where I like to talk about all things investing, where I share with you some of my takes and observations about what's going on in the, on in the market, share with you some takes and observations by other people who are really, I find I really respect and listen to quite a bit when it comes to investing, get, listen to their some takes, and also share with you some of my own thought processes that I use to formulate and make my uh, investment decisions in terms of buying and selling stocks and ETFs. The goal here is just hopefully you can take some nuggets of ideas, perspectives, uh, and information that you can kind of bring back into your own personal investing decisions that you're making, and hopefully it's gonna help you make better investment decisions for yourself. Uh, my name is Amon Reina, and I'm an investment coach and founder of Sage Investors. And what I do as an investment coach is I, is I try to help people who want to essentially become more financially independent. The problem is, when it comes to investing, people feel very intimidated, confused, and frustrated by the whole investing in stocks and ETFs experience. They either don't know where to start, don't know where to start if they're just new to investing, or they've been investing for a long time, but they're just not making a lot of progress with their portfolios. So what I do as an investment coach is, is ultimately I teach people, I engage with them, I work with them on helping them to make ultimately uh, more educated and ultimately more successful investment decisions so that they can achieve a certain level of freedom in their lives, a certain level of financial freedom in their lives, and achieve it with confidence. So uh, today's episode, this is, I believe, episode 114. Uh, gonna talk a little bit today about competitive advantage. And for those of you who follow you know, Warren Buffett, uh, one of his core criterias when he tries to figure out what stocks to buy and sell and what companies to buy and sell uh, it comes down to he likes to invest is in companies that have what he calls a durable competitive advantage. They are selling types of products and services that people want over and over again and they do it very well and they have a very dominant position in the markets that they are uh, that they're involved with and having those elements according to Buffett allows them to compete uh, to be durable to be lasting for long can last for long periods of times and ultimately is going to be more successful as businesses and so that's the question we kind of all are looking for when you know when Buffett's looking he's constantly trying to answer it and essentially all of us are trying to answer it as investors which kind of businesses out there are going to be around for a long time and are, and are going to dominate and if you you know take it to the moment we're in right now um, it seems like uh, investors and media and people who are really smart about business and, and investing, uh, they've kind of anointed a few companies right now to be those, those, that kind of dominant company. And one of them is, is Amazon. And the other one, I think right now to me, that has kind of been anointed, anointed and coronated as, as sort of the company of the moment um, that's going to dominate um, our lives and dominate business is, is Apple. So Apple and Amazon, I kind of put them in together. Amazon dominating the whole online retail uh, segment, literally disrupting it, um, even just re-revolutionizing -re it in terms of how um, we do retail, how we go and buy products, uh, in terms of the logistics of going online and buying products, getting them delivered, getting them shipped, uh, uh, 
and just the whole dynamic of using technology to kind of tell us what we want to buy. And you know, they've, they've carved out a very significant share in the market and, and also a significant amount of uh, mind share in terms of what we think of in terms of dominant brands and who we rely on on a day-to-day -day business to, get the, to, to, to buy the goods and services that we need. And so Amazon has been that. And you know, this is a company that started as a, literally a bookstore, an online bookstore, but now they're into healthcare. They're trying to get into the pharmacy side of it. They're trying to get more into the food side of it when they bought Whole Foods. There's chatters now out there that they want to become into the financial services side. Um, they are, and, and then ultimately also they are that logistics software company in terms of the, ADL, the Amazon Web Server, um, AWS um, um, product or platform that they've developed and have a significant dominant market share in. Uh, the whole infrastructure side. So th this is a company that's a lot of people just saying is just going to destroy business. It's going to destroy retailers. Ultimately, we're going to be just buying everything from Amazon. Same thing says for Apple, but it, I guess more in the context of how we consume hardware and how we consume software in terms of phones. You know, the whole smartphone thing. Real Apple just revolutionized the whole smartphone, tablet. Wearable devices now they're getting into watches and a lot of people think you know Apple owns is the dominant player in in, in, in mobile technology and in, in computer technology so a lot of people think they're gonna own that and eventually we're all gonna just use uh, iPhones and 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 Macs um, to do that so the reality is that's that's the moment of right now but it, it's interesting because over you know. We can go back 20 years ago into the 80s and 90s and the companies that were the dominant businesses at that time were literally Walmart and Microsoft. Um, you know, Walmart in terms of, you know, I'm dating myself, but I remember uh, the same type of uh, kind of uh, exuberance that is being applied to Apple and Amazon being applied to uh, Walmart and Microsoft, you know, just go back 20, 30 years, how, how much Walmart was dominating retail and they were putting, you know, they were opening up stores in these big, huge monster warehouse stores, um, in the suburbs and literally destroying, disrupting, um, the traditional mom and pop retail store. Same with Microsoft, you know, before we were just using, um, you know, DOS, and then what happened? Microsoft came in with Windows, and literally almost you know nine out of every ten computers on the planet was running Windows, and it gave Microsoft that that avenue to sell all kinds of products and services. It made Bill Gates. You know, we never knew who Bill Gates was. Now Bill Gates is sort of an iconic figure. Um, it's what's happened is is I think what you need to, we need to understand as investors is that when we're looking at these companies and we become infatuated with these companies of the moment, these it companies, the reality is the nature of business, the nature of how companies evolve, um, once they climb that mountain and get there, at some point they're gonna erode and that competitive advantage, that durable competitive advantage starts to erode and starts to, in a lot of cases, uh, disappears. And it's a, there's an interesting statistic that said, uh, let's look back, if you look at all the publicly traded companies over history, 40% of com publicly traded companies out there eventually go to zero. Um, they lose all their value. And I think what the key takeaway is, because right now everybody's so infatuated with Microsoft, oh no, not Microsoft, infatuated with Amazon and infatuated with Apple, 
they are kind of looking at it from a short-term perspective, but really in the long-term perspective, and we saw it with with Apple and Micro, uh, with uh, sorry, with uh, Walmart and Microsoft, is that there's always change and companies evolve, and unfortunately, companies don't evolve, don't go up in a straight line forever. There will always be um, plateaus and periods uh, within an economic cycle, but there's natural plateaus and periods where they just tend to get old and kind of lose their value. You know, I cite, you know, I'm showing you talking about um, Walmart and Microsoft. You know, before that we had Sears, we had Kmart, we had McDonald's. Those were considered to be IBM, um, considered to be the dominant companies that there were sort of the untouchables, that there's no way companies could like that could just disappear. Coke, for example, another, uh, dominant brand that we all grew up with. The uh, reason why I talk about it is, is it's really important. I just think it's really important because people are just getting very gaga-ish about a lot of these companies out there right now. The Fang stocks, the Facebooks, the Apples, Netflix, um, Google for a certain extent. But people need to understand it's important when you're, if you're looking at these companies, you have to look them in the context of a little bit of history and that over time right now, these might be the dominant companies right now they're disrupting and may have the highest level of competitive advantage, but eventually they're gonna lose that. And there's all kinds of reasons why they can do that. And that's the reason why I wanna talk about it is, is uh, Morgan Housel, again, a guy who I keep citing here on this podcast all the time, and I think I might have to get him on here because he's just, I, I think, fantastic writer and has incredible insights and perspectives into into investing. He works, runs the uh, Collaborative Fund. He um, posted another blog post a while ago called Why Competitive Advantages Die. And he really kind of walks through some ideas in terms of, you know, why do these companies, like why did Walmart and Microsoft, you know, they were dominant companies 25, 30 years ago. Why are they just kind of, they're not bit players, but they're, they're almost a shell of what they used to be in a sense, like what happened? What what can drive that? And I'm gonna put a link on my uh, on my website uh, and on this podcast so you can read the, art, the article yourself, but I just kind of wanted to give you some of the highlights of it. And the way he kind of frames this whole, his, his the reasoning behind why competitive advantages die with companies is at a high, at a very simple first level kind of thinking, well, competition, well, other companies just kind of step up their game and and develop a better mousetrap. Incompetence, like just sheer managerial incompetence is, is also, can be the easy way to determine or explain why companies kind of plateau and erode and eventually disappear. But he goes into some other elements too, which I think are also just as valid and just as insightful too, um, that we need to keep in mind as we're looking at these companies. Cause you're probably out there saying, you know what, geez, man, Amazon is going to rule the world. I think I just, I have no choice. I have to jump on board, but you need to, you know, but if you have a long-term investment horizon, um, you need to ask yourself some questions about the business. And one of the things I do when I teach people how to invest is I, I get people to ask questions and be able to answer some basic questions about how a business is structured and how it's working and what its value proposition is before you start looking at the numbers. And so, uh, Housel in his, in his post highlighted a few reasons why companies lose their competitive advantage. And so the first reason he talks about is is really just is, is, is hubris. It's just literally overconfident. You get to a point where you're just kind of, if you're that dominant, almost you know controlling 80% of a market for something, um, 
that can kind of get to your ego a little bit. And what that leads to is ultimately it clouds, potentially can cloud your ability to, to take in new ideas. Because, hey, I've climbed this mountain and I built this company to what it is. I know how to do it. And new ideas are always coming. New ideas are always churning and circling around us. And companies that are really successful are able to have that culture to embrace those new ideas. And so it's very easy for companies that become dominant and big players in, in their sectors and their business to, to really shut out and filter out these new ideas. And ultimately those new ideas are really critical because that's going to continue, keep the company um, continuously evolving and evolving and pushing um, and avoiding the, the complacency kind of trap that that many of companies seem to fall into. Um, you know, the, the, the common theme is like, hey, you know what? I built this company. It's, it's the dominant company in this industry. I have the formula. I know it works because it's got me there. Why do I need to tweak my formula? Why do I need to introduce new ideas and people into the process? And usually when it does that, when they start getting enclosed into, in, have more inward thinking versus outward thinking, that's usually a sign of, in the long term, it's going to bite them in the butt. So that's one element too. It's just ego is uh, is a is a driving factor. Uh, a second also uh, reason why companies can lose their competitive advantage or lose their mojo is, you know, when you're starting a business, when you're starting a, building a product or introducing your product, it's really about the passion and the ideas and the flow of ideas that go into it. But then once you hit it you hit that home run, uh, when a company hits that home run, it then becomes more about finance than it does become over ideas. And companies that can become successful in a normal you know, evolution of a company, it starts off as a growth company, a startup, it grows, it starts generating some ideas, generating revenues, and then it grows even faster, and then it just becomes uh, you know, a big player. And usually when, it become, when a company becomes that big player, you know, ultimately when it IPOs, goes public, um, the, the, the emphasis on management then kind of goes away from what got them there in terms of the process and the journey of developing those products. And it becomes more about the financial aspects of it. It becomes more about financial engineering. It becomes more about the corporate finance side of it. Um, especially when a company is out there when they start to pay a dividend. And because when the company starts to pay a dividend, the, one of the focuses kind of changes with the business where it becomes less about growing the business and reinvesting back into the business and it becomes more about, well, let's just keep those dividend payments going out because that's really where people are going to see our value. And that ultimately, over the long term, kind of weakens the company and weakens their their DNA and it weakens their 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 management focus it weakens their strategic focus and so one of the things that happens though is then when a company like for example pays out a dividend and then it's kind of under some pressure the, the earnings and the profits have started coming under pressure to start looking for ways to cut not cut to keep their profitability but cut to keep the dividend payment because you don't want to cut your dividend payment because that sends a signal out to the market that there's something wrong with your business and people will just start pulling out left and right. So they'll cut other things before cutting the dividend. And oftentimes the things that they're going to be cutting are going to be things like capital spending, research and development, cutting staffing, marketing. These are the elements that actually got the company to where it was to be that successful company. And so as soon as the moment when companies start focusing on the finance, and less about the product and the passion and the customers, 
then in a way what they're doing is they're that incredible competitive advantage that they had is now starting to slow it get, gets smaller and in a sense the playing field starts to get level so when companies start covet cutting investment spending cutting R&D that's just blood on the streets that's incentivizing startups people with smaller businesses smaller with bigger ideas to say hey you know what the big guys are cutting their spending we need to go more offense because now the playing field is level and if we play our cards right and we strategically execute we're going to be a dominant business we're going to catch these the goliaths out there so and a lot of times again companies lose their competitive advantage because they focus so much more on the numbers and that's all it's a price to be paid when uh, companies go public and then now they're now more and less accountable to the shareholder in a sense, or less accountable to their customers and start becoming more accountable to shareholders, to bondholders, um, third party, you know, the banks and the institutions. And so when, the, when it becomes about the finance, then it, chances are the company is kind of on that road to eroding their competitive advantage. Um, short-term thinking and long-term thinking, Housel talks about that. Um, taking on short-term type of initiatives instead of focusing on a longer term. Again, this is pretty much standard stuff, um, but it is a factor. And when companies start going, adopting a more short-term focus in terms of their strategies, their corporate strategies, in terms of how they're selling their products and services, over time, that's, a, that's, erode, that's gonna erode their, uh, erode their uh, competitive advantage, and it's gonna erode their, their, their value of the company. And companies that are kind of like looking at fads, like right now, Bitcoin is a big deal, blockchain technology. So you're seeing companies out there totally re restructuring their, their corporate strategy or their focus or their raison d'etre to be a blockchain company. To, you see these companies that used to sell right now that are selling iced tea um, that are now all of a sudden now software companies specializing in blockchain, short-term thinking, cat, trying to tag on to any kind of fad out there to sustain some kind of competitive advantage. But in fact, you're actually lowering your competitive advantage and setting yourself up for a lot more pain down the road. So that's another reason, short-term thinking. Uh, another thing that kind of lowers competitive advantage uh, for companies is, is size. And ultimately, when you get bigger and you become more successful, when companies become more successful, get bigger, um, there's a, a growing HR kind of burden that comes into it. And you're going to get more people. You hire more people, you bring more people in the organization with different ideas, different values, different ways of doing things, and you get clashes. You will get conflict. You will get difference of ideas and opinions, which can be a good thing, but if the culture that you have is very inward thinking and you're growing and you're bringing new people in, chances are you're not facilitating the type of uh, evolution that's going to be conducive to enhancing your competitive advantage. You're probably going to be losing your... The company's probably going to be reducing their competitive advantage. Um, and so that's, that's it, you know, companies then start getting more bureaucratic, it becomes more process oriented. Um, those, these elements do chip away at a company's uh, mojo and can chip away at a company's DNA. So HR, you know, size, size, as you get bigger, uh, your competitive advantage can, has a good chance of, of, uh, of, of like frittering her away. Um, Another reason uh, Housel talks about is the decline of paranoia. So you have to kind of think about it if you're a startup or a, you know a growth company, 
there's there's a certain kind of passion there. There's a certain you know pursuit for the goal. Uh, a striving, a commitment, an energy level to want to achieve, to get your products out there and sell and be the first and be the best at it. Um, and there's a certain sort of idiosyncrasy, sort of insecurity that companies um, in their culture have in terms of striving to climb to the top of the mountain. What happens though is when you get to the top of the mountain, when companies get to the top of the mountain or think they're at the top of the mountain, that paranoia, that uh, insecurity, that um, motivation kind of goes away because it's sort of like, yeah, okay, I've done this. What, what? I don't need to prove anything else. I'm done. Let's just kick everything in cruise control and we'll just kind of walk our way through it. That's a big thing in terms of how companies evolve. And ultimately when companies get to that point where they've climbed the mountain, they lose the mojo and they lose that idiosyncrasy, the, the insecurity, which can be a very conflict related uh, competency to have. But when it's the numbers have shown and the, the way businesses have evolved, it's actually good to have a little bit of insecurity, have a little bit of, um, it's good to be a little bit hungry um, because ultimately that's gonna keep you pushing forward and it's gonna make you more committed to maintaining and enhancing whatever competitive advantage that you have as an organization. So decline of paranoia he talks about. And then the final thing that he talks about too that impacts companies' competitive advantage is just time. Over time, we just, you know, we change. Companies change and over time companies become old. Not old in the sense of people, old in the sense of the products and services that they have may just may not be compatible with what is currently uh, people want or what the current demographics of people are having. Like right now we're in a, such a great transformation right now away from baby, from baby boomers have been the dominant demographic. Now we're getting into more of the millennials, Gen Z. They have different value systems, different approaches, different takes. So the products and companies that were built and developed by baby boomers um, may not just have the same cachet level with, with, with younger people. And that's not because of baby boomers and millennials, that's just life. This is as we get older, and depending where we are in our life, are just our preferences for things is different, and it changes. And it's really hard for companies to really be in existence for long periods of time, generations over generations, um, and staying on top of that. And so it's just literally mother and father time can just chip away at a competitive advantage. And if you look at companies that have been around for long periods of time, the IBMs, the Coca-Colas, the McDonald's, these were stalwart companies, right? We were looked up to, aspirational companies that everybody looked up to. And now they are almost a tier two type of company. They're not horrible companies, but they're not the same companies that they used to be. And a lot of that is just people's preferences. McDonald's, people's preferences for, for healthier eating. Uh, Coca-Cola, people's preferences for more healthier uh, beverages. It changes. Uh, and in Household's article, he talks about um, if uh, JP Morgan um, decided tomorrow to uh, adopt, uh, offer a robo-advisor service, um, chances are most of the millenniums would not consider going with JP Morgan. JP Morgan, they would probably go with a Wealth Simple or a Betterment, or uh, you know one of those uh, upstart kind of companies uh, services because they perceive JP Morgan to be my dad's company, my grandfather's um, bank. Uh, I don't want to do that. I want to go with somebody a little bit more who sees and relates to what I'm doing. And so the JP Morgans of the world and the traditional banks have a challenge in terms of drawing in 
the younger crowd into their product line, into their ecosystem, because again, they're just ships passing through the night in terms of value system. Not gonna kid you, the JP Morgans and the Bank of Americas and the BMO and the BMOs are gonna try to entice millennials to come over and try their products, but it's tougher. It's just tougher compared to an upstart who has maybe a better wavelength and a better relationship towards their, that demographic. So as much as we want companies to last for hundreds and hundreds of years, it's really hard to because just time just kind of chips away at, at, at the evolution of a business. And so, you know, the reason why I, I thought this was really important to kind of have this kind of framework behind you is you're gonna be looking at companies like Amazon right now. You're gonna look at Apple, you're gonna look at all the FANG stocks, Facebook, and you know, right now in the media and by, the, by Wall Street, Bay Street, you know, th these are companies that are just kind of being put on a pedestal. They've been anointed as the companies that are gonna be around. Every other business is pretty much garbage compared to them. You have to be careful before you dump into them and just understand, kind of size up where these guys are in the context of these elements. Are they displaying any of these type of behaviors um, in their evolution? Because if they are, chances are they're not gonna be, over the long term, if you're a long-term investor, they're not gonna be the greatest investments to have. They're probably gonna depreciate in time. And you can only look at the stocks of, of, of Microsoft and Walmart in the 80s and look at them, what happened in the late 90s, early 2000s, they got decimated, they got cut in half. Yep, they're kind of uprating, they're kind of now in an upswing right now, but there was a lot of, for a long time, Microsoft stock and, and Walmart stock was pretty much dead money. Um, and a lot of it was because they just evolved to the point where they just were over time and they just didn't even realize that their competitive advantage was eroding. Even though the fact that Microsoft controlled like 85% or 90% of the PCs out there on the planet, they were losing their competitive advantage. And ego, uh, focus on financials, just age. The internet came up. They did not catch the internet at all. They dismissed it because they were so inward. The culture was so inward. They didn't want to consider it. Walmart, you know, the world was gonna be, Walmart was just gonna be, we're gonna just buy our groceries, do our shopping, uh, do everything that we need to sustain our life was gonna be done at a Walmart. Guess what happened? They got big, they got really big, but then they got really fat and they got really inward. And this was a this was one of the most innovative companies. They revolutionized IT in terms of uh, supply chain, just-in-time inventory. They were like the forefront leaders in these types of tools, business tools. And then they just looked inward and lost it. So guess who's leading it now? It's Amazon. So here we are right now with Amazon and Apple. And I'm not, I'm not trying to trash these companies. They're fantastic companies. Um, but you kind of start looking for the clues as investors. We kind of need to look, start looking for clues to see, hey, you know what? They are the best of breed right now. But if we see any kind of chinks in the armor with these companies and we're looking at them as investments, we need to be mindful of that, especially if we're making long-term investments. So. Who knows? Amazon, you know, if history has shown, Amazon and Apple will probably lose their competitive advantage and somebody else will come up and somebody else will step up and take and take over the next thing. Maybe they not. Maybe Apple and Amazon might be kind of the exception to the rule. There are some signs of it out there, actually, when I look at Apple. Because Apple, when you look at Apple, for example, they came up with the iPod. Like Apple reinvented themselves with the with the with the iPod. And, you know, just playing music, but then they cannibalized it with 
the iPhone. And they invented um, the whole concept of the tablet with the iPad, essentially cannibalizing a bit of their Mac products. To me, that's a sign of a company that's really willing to, and I guess a company that's willing to compete. They could have just sat back and just sold iPods um, forever and raked in money, but they saw, and Steve Jobs saw, he had the foresight to think, you know what, we can't rest on our laurels. We're gonna lose this market share. So he came up with something that literally destroyed his product line. The iPhone literally destroyed the iPod because it could do all that stuff and then a whole bunch of things, other things on top of it. Amazon, same thing. It's uh, Amazon was a book company, right? Amazon just started off just selling books online. Bez Bezos just started sell, sold books from his garage or from a little office in his house. He saw and said, I can't sell books for the rest of my life. Um, I need to do more. And so Amazon has been quite aggressive in the sense of literally on an almost monthly basis, uh, expanding into something totally different. You know, look at where they're looking at now. Grocery, pharmaceutical, healthcare, logistics. Like 20, Bezos probably 30 years ago didn't think he would be running cloud computing, uh, have a cloud computing platform. But he had the foresight to think, you know what, I can't, I need to maintain my competitive advantage. I need to enhance my competitive advantage. So I'm gonna get into, I have to get into different ideas. I have to embrace ideas. And he's trying to build a culture that does that. So maybe Amazon might be, um, a type of company that might actually preserve or maybe enhance its competitive advantage. Um, Bezos, one of the things Amazon is renowned for is, you know, the products and everything that they have and the services, they make no money. They really haven't been one of, they've, they've hardly made any profit over their time. And that's conscious because Bezos has basically said, I don't care about profit. I don't care about, I care about market share and I care about revenue growth. That's all I care about. I'm gonna spend every dollar that I'm gonna bring that I'm gonna bring into my company. I'm gonna pump it in into developing another product, developing another service, or making my current service better. Because if I do that, then I'm gonna control the market, and I'm gonna have the dominant market, and ultimately, I'm gonna have competitive advantage. So, we're seeing some things going on right now with Apple and Amazon that are showing that they might be kind of potentially. We have to see a lot of things play out, but be potentially the competitive, uh, the exception to the rule with respect to maintaining that competitive advantage and being that dominant business, which ultimately as investors we want to invest in because we want to make money and we want to invest in companies that are valuable and are going to grow in value over the long time. So competitive advantage, you know, bringing it back to Buffett is a really important thing to understand and be aware of. Uh, in terms of some of the behaviors that companies have because that's going to filter in whether the company is going to be a long-term successful company and ultimately we're investors we want to make money and we want to put our money into companies and businesses and the ideas that are going to grow and be dominant for long periods of time so I found this article really uh, really really insightful in terms of a reset and giving a framework in terms of how to figure out which you know are really good, high quality, well-run, well-managed well well businesses. And a company's ability to keep competitive advantage is really a good criteria to look for. And its ability to maintain that competitive advantage is just as important because history has shown it's really hard to maintain. So really interesting, I'm gonna put a link on my podcast uh, right up where you can get more information about it. If you have any questions about this or anything else related to uh, this podcast, you can hit flip, hit flip me an email. Um, 
through my website, sageinvestors.ca. You can send me an email through there. I'm on a whole bunch of different social media platforms. I'm on Twitter. You can find my handle as at sageinvestors. I'm on there all the time tweeting about different observations that I'm seeing in the market, as well as sharing uh, content, uh, ideas, and perspectives from other people. Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, just do a search on Sage Investors. I'm on, the, on there. I post all my blog, uh, blogs and podcasts and uh, updates and commentary and all that stuff is on my Facebook page too. So you can join in there, like away. And uh, finally, also my podcast. Obviously, you can go to iTunes and uh, you can download and subscribe to my podcast uh, through there. Just to break some breaking news also, I'm also now starting to get my hands a little bit on Instagram. So if you're on Instagram, just do, you can do a search. Uh, my handle is at Sage Investors Nation. And uh, basically all my, uh, I'm on there actually posting on almost a daily basis, a couple of videos a day. Just some quick tick, quick hits, quick takes about what's going on in the market. And uh, if you just want to get some quick insights on what's going on on the market and stuff like that, I'm on there and sharing with you all my some different perspectives too there. So yeah, there's lots of ways you can get a hold of me if you want to ask me questions about um, some of my posts and my content, or if you want to ask me some questions about the courses that I teach, my in-person and online investing courses, uh, as well as my coaching services, you can find all that information on my website, sageinvestors.ca. So. That's about it. That's all I got for you today. Um, thanks again for listening in. This has been another episode of Stock Talk. My name is Amon Reina of Sage Investors, and we'll catch you again another time. Take care. Bye-bye.